0: So for today's meditation, let's turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start with verse 11, 11 to 22. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 22. And then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he said to him, into his field to feed, a, feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the parts that swine ate and no longer gave him anything. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and sandals on his his feet. I'm pretty sure you're very familiar with this story. What is the name of the story? Prodigal Prodigal Son, yes. It's famously known as that, and I'm pretty sure you've heard many sermons on this uh, passage. I grew up in church, and I have heard, I don't know, thousands of times the same story. But way later in my life, I was able to truly understand and appreciate what this parable was, was about. So I would like to deep dive into why Jesus was using this parable. Sometimes we focused on this amazing detailed parable that we tend to miss the previous two parables. Understand, Jesus was saying this is, so some scholars believe this is one parable with three parts. Some say it's three different parts. I don't have a preference, but I know that there's importance to the first two parables too, which starts at Luke chapter 4, sorry, Luke chapter 15, verse 4 to uh, 7, and then 8 to 10. And it goes like this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And Jesus says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who needs no repentance. That's the first part of the parable. And the second one is, and he, here's the funny part, he used or, the word or, what woman having ten silver coins, if he loses one coin, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in presence of angels of God over the sinner who repents. And then he goes into the next parable of the, prodigal son. What is Jesus trying to say through this parables? At first you see uh, see a sheep getting lost. Is there any shepherds here? Okay. If you're a shepherd, I mean, you would know a sheep if it gets lost. It's one of those animals who can never find the way back home. It really needs the shepherds to guide, to feed, to water. It's one of those animals who really need that guidance, right? So once the sheep was lost, the shepherd, the loving shepherd, is seeking out the sheep. What does he do? He leaves the 99 behind, and he's like, where is the sheep? The, he did because he had hundreds sheep. It, it wasn't like he would not find out if one sheep is lost, right? Like, you know, what are the chances that he would know? Like hundreds of sheep. Like that means he's keeping track of all his sheep. He loves the sheep. He knows his sheep. He's accountable to the sheep. That he's now so loving and so careful that he searched out to go find that sheep. In the second uh, parable, the woman loses a coin. It's not a a living thing, right? It's lost. But she is diligently putting her whole mind and heart to look for this coin. In the first story, it was one out of 100 that was lost. It's 1%. In the next parable, it is, 1 out of 10 lost, which is like 10%. The, the, the value of the thing lost went from 1% to 10%, right? Jesus was trying to say there is a seeker which represents God, right? There's a seeker out there who's seeking the lost. You know, this, in both the s- parables... There's a seeker who's seeking something lost, and then the seeker's activity is goes after and seeks diligently, right? And then the seeker is persistent in seeking, because the word says, "until found." It's like, ah, "I can't find it. I know I'm going to leave it. You know It's just a coin, right? Like,, oh, it's just a sheep, you know, I can't find it." No, that wasn't the attitude. It's seeked out persistently. Right? And the seeker's love, when it finds it, it brings it back. And the seeker's joy, rejoicing. The seeker is so happy they're throwing a party because it's so valuable. It shows the love. So Jesus is trying to show that when the sinner Is lost and not able to find God. The God Himself came down seeking the lost. And when we go to the third parable, this is, you know, it's the more detailed version of the parable versus the other two, right? He has more substance, more details, right? And then He sets this picture with the first and the second parable and goes to a, a third parable here. In this parable, you see a son who goes to the father and says, hey, give me my portion of the inheritance. Who? you don't do that in those days. To paint a picture, like some of the parables to understand are some of the things, you, you know, to understand, in you know, you need to understand the culture of the biblical times. So, at that time, the tradition of the Jewish tradition was the, the inheritance came to the children after the death of the father. So Basically, he's going and says, I wish you were dead. Now, I'm not going to wait around for you to die because I'm wasting my time. So just give me my portion of, you know, inheritance. And understand, he's the younger son, which means he only gets, you know, because the firstborn gets uh, double the portion, you know, uh, in Deuteronomy, read, you know, the firstborn, the inheritance, how it's given. So, you know, they get the double portion. So he's only getting one third of it. But he still says, you know what, I want it. And then once he gets it, it's not that he said, you know what, I'm going to go to the other side of the town so I, you know, still can be home, you know, all over the weekends. You know, I'm going to build my life, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids. I'm going to, you know, live a normal life. No, he gathered everything he had and he went to a faraway country. I sometimes wonder, I mean, it's not in the Bible. I'm, I'm just wondering like how that process was, right? It's not like somebody just wakes up in the morning and gets the idea to go to a different country. I'm pretty sure he might have heard of things that is happening in that country the merchants coming in, telling about all the great things happening there, good things happening there, right? How the party life is. There was something that enticed him to leave his father and the father's household and go to a faraway country. It was his desire. You know, he wanted to do traveling. He wanted to see the world, right? So he... Willing to take that step even to say, you know what, I'm not waiting for you to die. Just give me my portion so I can go. You know, when I was going through this passage, a funny thought came to my mind. It sounded like America. He was going to America, right? You know, it sounded all great and awesome and, you know. And yeah, so he gathered together and he went. And then when he went to that land, what did he do? He started living carelessly, recklessly. And all that he had, he spent it. Father worked all his life to build what he had. And then son takes it, leaves it, and squanders it. And when you are enticed by the world, when you are enticed by your desires to do certain things, You don't even know how much you squander things, because sometimes it's you know, it's like you go to the fancy restaurant. You know, you know people judge by how you dress and how you look and what you do, right? It's always the case. And if you're doing better, you know, you want to milk that person more. Every business business tries to do that, right? I'm pretty sure he was like one of those guys. He made new friends. People were like, "Oh, this is the friend I want to be with." He has the money. So he's going to fund a lot of different things, right? But it didn't take too long for him to lose all the money. Imagine what have happened to him after that. When he lost the money, he lost the friends he made. All of a sudden, the fancy country that he always heard about, and it started the reality started to set in. The people that he thought loved him did not love him anymore. Because they never loved him. They only loved his lifestyle. Right? And to a point, you know, I'm pretty sure when the famine came to the land, he might have gone to some of his trusted friends, the people who were always there for his party, right? Who always, you know, came first. Nobody, I don't think anybody took care of him. That is why he ended up going to, you know, looking for a job. And here, he finds a job, which is to feed pigs. And funny, it's one of the unclean animals. And now, his job You know, where he was at father's house rejoicing and, you know, he was well taken care of. And now he has to compromise in life because of the choices he made. And now he is doing the same thing his culture, his tradition, and his God never wanted him to do. Like, be with the unclean animals. He's like, even if the food of the, you know, pigs, if I can get to eat it, I'll be happy. But he don't even get that. He hits the rock bottom of his life. And what happens next? He comes back to his senses. And he says, I'm going to go to my, back to my father. I don't want to be a son. I'm not worthy to be a son. I just want to be a servant there. Because my dad's servants has enough to eat. They are well taken care so he decides to turn his life around. In the first two stories, God is seeking. And the third story, you see is repentance. A son who turned away from the father, who was loving and caring. Now when he comes back to his senses, he's repenting. He figured out he made a mistake. And he wants to go back to his father. And this is what happens. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Whew. That's an amazing picture of our heavenly father. Understand the culture of that time, right? The son, you know, I'm just picturing it, right? The house is like, you know, on the one side of the town and, you know, he's entering the main gate of the town. The father is looking for him. And when he sees, the father leaves everything behind and runs towards the son. It's a beautiful picture. Imagine this. Why do you think the father ran towards the son? He could have just waited. Oh, my son is here. Come on, come on, I'll wait here. No, he ran towards the son. Some of the commentators, it's, it's funny uh, how some of the commentators have put it. They said, what if the people of the town meets him first and they start talking to him? How do you think that conversation will go? You, you came back. How dare you? They would have accused him. They would have said, you are that son who wanted your father dead. They could have said things, probably would have discouraged him further going back home. The father did not want that. So he runs as fast as he could. He didn't care how sweaty or how dirty he is. He falls on his neck and he he hugs him and kisses him. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and to you. Father doesn't care. You know, he was like, great, you repented." He saw the action of repentance. The word at that point didn't matter to the father. He didn't wait to, okay, you have rehearsed it very well. Come on, tell me. Oh, you, you think, you know, you, you did wrong, right? Now you have to admit everything you did wrong. No, he just fell and kissed him. And the next thing was the instruction to the service. Go bring in the best rope. Put a finger on his, uh, for, put a ring on his finger. And cut a fatted cow that we may celebrate because the son that I, I you know, was dead and now I found him. He's alive at the joy of return. So it's, it's incredible to show that Father's love. And Jesus is saying this to, you know, the people that gathered there and to Pharisees particularly, right? Because they believed, they did not believe that God seeks out sinners. Their theology was like, hey, you got to be better. You got to earnestly seek God. You know, probably God might listen to you kind of mentality. And here, Jesus is painting a picture of God seeking out and the character of our Heavenly Father. It's beautiful. Now, in order to understand why Jesus is saying these three Parables, we need to go back further and reach, you know, from uh, verse 1 to 3. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the and scribes complained, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable, saying to them, You know, th- there is a weightage to the word then. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. When? To understand that, you have to go back to chapter 14, right? You know, Jesus was doing his ministry on earth and he was very unorthodox rabbi, right? He wasn't among the synagogue teaching to the righteous and the best people who fast and pray and keep all the commandments. He was out on the streets talking to Everybody, you know, who is hungry for God, like the, the soul that is lost, the sinners, the tax collectors. I don't know how much you understand the word tax collector mean, right? Um, I don't know how many of you watch uh, the series Chosen. I'm not here to promote or anything, but I would highly recommend it because they portray uh, some of the things that we casually read through. They portray the heaviness of that to the cultural standpoint, right? Um, you know, in, you know, uh, the tax collector, like their parents hated the children, like if they were a tax collector. It was like really, really bad in those days. Like, and here Jesus is hanging out with sinners, the so-called sinners, according to the standard of Pharisees, right? And he's telling them, and understand the people are hungry to hear from Jesus, The word of God meant so much to them; they were more hungry, so they kept keep coming back to Jesus and saying, "Okay, we want to hear more. Tell me, right?" So when all this is happening in chapter fourteen, right, um, he teaches about the um, uh, the cost of following Christ. Like you know, you leave everything behind, leave your father and mother, and follow me, right? That's the message of Christ, and the sinners and Tax collector is able to accept it, right? But there is a group of people who is not liking, right? The Pharisees and the scribes, and they complain. In another version, it's used the word "murmured," right? Saying, this man receiveth the sinners and eats with them. What's the big deal of eating with them? In those culture, like eating with somebody is a very significant thing, right? And that's cultural perspective, right? It means, you know, I'm, 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 we are together, we are one, we are part of, you know, something, right? We are nourished by the same bread, right? That's the idea that is there. So that is why they're saying sinners eats with them. Like Pharisees and scribes, they would not do that. They would only they are the elite God's people and they will only hang out with God's people and they will only eat with the you know the elite God's chosen ones and Jesus hearing their thoughts hearing the murmur he's telling them this parables see we give so much significance and importance to the story of prodigal son, we totally loses why Jesus said the story in the first place. The story was not about the prodigals. That's to paint the picture of God's love for the lost. But he is actually addressing the Pharisees and scribes. So the most important character... I would say he's the elder brother. If you read from chapter 25, I'm sorry, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come and because he, he has received him safely and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. Remember, he had two sons. The elder son never left. He was always there in the house. So now he comes back and he hears all the commotion happening in the house. Wait a second, what is that party all about? Oh, your brother came back. You know what was his first reaction? <laughs> Verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Whew. A lost son who made wrong choices in life. When he gets back home, he repented Leaves all his lifestyle. His repentance was so pure that he didn't even want to. He acknowledges that he cannot be a son again. He would rather be a servant in the house of his father. With that repentance, when he comes home, the first reaction of the brother is, he is getting angry. Instead of rejoicing, like the father rejoiced, in the other thing, the seekers, when they find it, they rejoiced. Instead sort of rejoicing, here is that one person in the entire place who is angry that the, the lost brother came back. You know, I would title this parable, The Lost Sons. You know, in the first story, it was like 1%, then 10%, and then 100%. That's the way I'm looking at it, Right? In both seas, though he was close to the father, though he was in the house, his attitude was not like his father. Instead of showing love, he was angry. And then he goes on saying... um, So he answered and said to his father, "Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. He was in the house. He claims he did everything his father did. But his desire is no different than the younger brother. Because what he asked is, you did not give me a goat to be merry with my friends so i don 't see a lot of difference between the attitude one sense one said, uh, one son said, "I wish you were dead, the other one is waiting for his death, and as Jesus is bluntly calling out the Pharisees and scribes like, "You are that elder brother and it, it's funny how he says this like Um, lo these many years I have been serving you I've never transgressed your commandment at any time I don't know about that I'm pretty sure he showed he was doing what his father wanted you know self-righteousness right I see what I see here is self-righteousness right like what, they create a standard for themselves and say, you know what? I'm holy, I'm great, I'm doing great because I have a parameter and I'm doing the right thing. So here's a elder brother who's showing his self-righteousness. He himself declaring that he have never transgressed against the father. He thinks what he did is right. And the funny part is, like, in Christianity, how many denominations are there? Anybody? I can't count it. I'm sorry. I've lost track of it. I know major ones of them, but it came to a point, like, it's the same Bible. It's the same Bible. Except for very few groups, they have special Bibles. But most of them have the same Bible, but we can't agree on things. Why is that we serve the same God, the same Holy Spirit, same Jesus, but so many different denominations? Self-righteousness. Why? We create a metric that is convenient for us and we measure ourselves with that measure And then we become better than everybody else. And then you see another denomination, you look down upon it. I'm not here to preach about denominations, but to paint a picture of how the attitude of elder son lives in us. We are that Pharisees and scribes sometimes. Sometimes we are the hindrance for the younger son to come home. The other day, I was talking to my mother. And um, um, she was concerned, like, here and there, I have a bottle of wine open, you know, when we're eating, you know, some nice, you know, meaty food, American flavor. It's good, pet, goes with it, right? I buy no a drunkard, just to be clear. <laughs> so my mom is, like, concerned, and she's like, oh, my God, how can you consume alcohol? Right, And I was like, I asked her back. So, abusing verbally, abusing your neighbor, bearing false witness against your brother, pride, all these things are acceptable, but alcohol is the biggest problem? I grew up in a culture where this was very much happening, right? They have a standard to measure you. And if you're in this standard, you're good. You're going to heaven, right? I've never seen any denomination saying we are wrong. Have you found one? They all say we are right, right? I learned so many things in my life. When I grew up and I started reading the word of God, I'm like, "Uh, I don't think that sounds right. It's so much put into us. Instead of listening and led by the spirit of God to understand the word, We've been fed by a group of people. Hey, this is what it is. And they give you the standard of self-righteousness. And if you're within this bracket, you're good. You're one of us. You're certified Pentecostal or certified Baptist. Right? And then there is bigger problems that we don't want to talk about or we don't want to address it. And that's the attitude of that elder brother who is in the house, closer to the uh, father, yet his heart was never with the father. He had the self in a sense of entitlement. You know, I've heard some people say, uh, I've been in this church for 20 years. Nobody speaks to me like this. Nobody tells me what to do. And there's another group of people, they say the church runs because of the money they're donating to the church. Where does this attitude come from? That is truly not the character of the father. It is the character of the elder son who says and claims he's close to the father, but lost just like the younger brother. And they are the hindrance. You know, growing up, I've heard people say, I will never become a Christian. I will never follow Christ. Because if X, Y, Z, relative that they know, they go to church and they claim to be a Christian. If this guy is a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. Sometimes we don't understand. We come to church, we do everything. Just we think according to the standard we set for ourselves and we think we are righteous and holy. Just the other people outside sees the things that truly who you are. And then they don't want to hear anything about Christ. Because they see you and how you behave. The Pharisees and scribes, they were not happy. They should have been rejoicing that the people that were lost, that were tax collector who never bothered to listen to God's word, is coming and listening to a rabbi. No, they were mad that they were coming in the first place. How many times have we become a stumbling block for other people to come to Christ? I'm guilty of it. When I was growing up, when I was growing up filled with all the standards, you you know, one of the funny thing, I have to tell you this. Growing up, I was told going to a movie theater was a sin. And when I think I was in fifth grade, the school took me on a field day to watch a movie, and I am sitting there, five fifth grader, right, crying to God to forgive my sin, because that's what fed into my head. And then when I grew up, then I saw the same people who say going to a movie theater is a sin watches the same exact movie in their home on an 18 screen. Now you see when I say self-righteousness and the standard. Sometimes we have to question some of the standards we set for ourselves. Is it truly biblical? Or is it because it is convenient Christianity? We live in a world that is we're looking for convenience. Most of the prosperity gospel churches in America is way bigger than Other average churches that is preaching the true gospel. Why? It is very convenient. It's very convenient to claim that we are close to the Father, but live a prodigal living, calling yourselves Christians. You know, some people are not comfortable with change. When God does something in the church, they have complaints. Oh, in the last 25 years, nobody changed that song. Why did you sing the song? It's not about the song. It's not about the message. It's not about, it's the working of Holy Spirit in the church. You need to earnestly seek. It's not the hell way of doing last 25 years. Probably you did it wrong last 25 years. It's time to change and seek God earnestly. Like the father, the son said, you know what? I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to go to my father and say, I've sinned against you. It's a loving father. It's a good father. He will accept you and he will meet you where you are.